A lot of writers go wrong and they kind of skip this step of really learning the craft and improving and challenging themselves and experimenting because this is where you really find your voice and you find who you are and what you want to do. Then once you've got all these techniques and you're aware of them and you played with them, that's when you find what works and that's when you can break the rules much more effectively. Because if you're not aware of what the rules are and why they are a certain way, how can you break them effectively? This is the Writer's Mindset Podcast. Formerly called the Writer's Cookbook Podcast. With me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Butts. We're here to inspire and motivate you to overcome the roadblocks holding you back in your writing career. With some tough love, some hard truths and serious reality checks. Let's get started. You can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month. If you join our community, you'll get access to bonus episodes, exclusive discounts, and much more. And we'll be eternally grateful for your support. Yes, as will Frankie and Millie for the extra pet treats we'll be able to get for them. To join our community and find out more, visit writerscookbook.com forward slash support. Woohoo! So, personal updates. This week... I am like Adam Rickett and I can breathe again. And I apologize if you're I apologize if you're not English and of a certain generation and you don't get that reference. But if you need a cheesy pop song, do put it on. Yeah, I've no idea what you're talking about, but carry on. You're making me feel really old right now. Yeah, but my asthma is a lot better. And interestingly, I think it's better than it was before I went on the steroids. So steroids are magical beans. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I feel like the brain fog is mostly gone and the kind of lethargy and stuff that I got from them as a side effect has um, gone as well. So that means I now have more time to go through the notes for Hollywood Destiny and The Ghost Call, which I got both back this week. So that's a lot of editing to do. Lucky you. Not really. I don't look. It's nice getting the feedback from people, but I don't like this stage because it's near the end of the journey, you know? I don't know. I enjoy like the platinum stages and the early drafts and the developmental edits. And then once it's gone to the beta readers, my brain's like, oh, but I'm nearly done with it now and I don't want to be done with it. So it's desperately trying to cling on and starts procrastinating by like getting through 20 loads of washing in a week and other stupid chores that don't need to be done immediately. This is the reason why your house is currently spotless, yes? Pretty much. Although my desk is covered in chocolate crumbs right now. (laughs) What about you? How'd your week gone? I have had a relatively productive week. So last time I mentioned that I was going to be a good girl and uh, focus on my dissertation. So my blood brother stuff is coming along and I'm going to send a very early first draft to the applicable people very soon, which means um, take your email box, Chrissy, because uh, it's coming. (laughs) And then the other thing I've been working on this week has been my screenplay. So as part of one of my other uni assignments, I am doing script writing for stage and screen. And I'm working on a film script, uh, which involves a lot of Fleetwood Mac and an interesting couple dynamic and hopefully a very heated fight scene. Verbal fight, nothing more than a verbal fight. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's interesting because it's such a different skill. I've been enjoying playing around with it and just seeing how it happens and how it comes out and trying new things which I love to do 
Yeah, script writing is a funny one because everyone thinks script writing is all about dialogue and it's not. It's all, it's very visual. Hmm, very visual. That's what I'm trying to focus on is telling the story with as little dialogue as possible. And yeah, it's proving interesting so far. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, but one that will teach you a lot because you will have to portray things in a particular way and think completely out of the box, you know? So far, so good. But equally, you'll probably uh, see that in your inbox sometime soon as well. <laughs> That's fine. I'm excited to read it, actually, because it is such a different take on script writing and telling a romance. We'll see. I'm enjoying playing around with it and just experimenting at the moment. That's what matters, right? Yeah, it is what matters. And anyway, enough about me. This week, we are talking about the myth of quantity versus quality in publishing. A lot of writers think that they should be spending years and years tweaking one book to death and making sure it's absolutely perfect, and that then they'll be able to pay the bills as a result of releasing this book, like J.D. Salinger or Harper Lee, but that was more than half a century ago. Why is this no longer the case? When J.D. Salinger and Harper Lee published, you know, my nan was our age. It was 60 plus years ago. And in the same way that the music industry and the film industry have changed over the last 10, 20 years in order to adapt to technology, that's now happening to the publishing industry. Businesses that don't adapt, quite frankly, die. And that's why a lot of traditional publishers have been merging and merging and merging because they're not adapting enough and they're still trying to use old style publishing methods on you know the modern landscape and that's why a lot of the big money these days comes from indie publishing instead at the end of the day millions and i mean millions of books are published every year and if you look at the rankings for the number of books published every year a lot of them don't include indie books because indie books often don't have isvns assigned to them and so actually there is even more books published than what a lot of places track so because of that, if you publish one book and expect it to pay your bills, quite frankly, it's not going to happen. That one book is going to get lost in the sea of millions, especially if you're not marketing your book and you don't know who your audience are. Even traditionally published books can't stand out anymore without understanding marketing and their audience and expectations because a lot of publishers these days aren't going to give them a big marketing budget or a big marketing push. They're going to teach the author how to do it themselves. It's a shame, so but yes, things are changing, things are adapting, and things should adapt and change. As a result of these changes, then, the focus should no longer be on reaching that super high quality. It should instead be on something else. Are people worrying too much about the quality of their writing? There's this kind of myth that still holds in a lot of places where people want to write one perfect book or one perfect series, but your actual growth as a writer comes from finishing things. It doesn't come from endlessly tweaking the same thing over and over because you will learn a lot more by finishing it. It's the same as you would learn more by driving more often than if you were just doing one journey, right? You're going to learn more about cooking if you experiment with different dishes as opposed to if you keep making the same thing over and over and never change anything. If you're endlessly tweaking the same book or the same series or even the same poem, it really reinforces perfectionism. And if you're even remotely prone to it, it can be very detrimental to your mental health. And also then you don't learn when a piece is ready. 
Because when a piece is ready is often not when you are ready and you have to know when to draw that line or, or you will just sit there forever changing this word and then changing it back and then going, oh no, this sentence isn't as good as I would like it to be and rearranging it and then still hating it. And you really end up fiddling with the minutiae that most people probably aren't even going to notice when there may be bigger problems that you can't fix in that book, but you can be aware of for future products. Spending all that time on one novel series or poem or whatever can lead to issues with perfectionism, but can also, I suppose, lend something towards efficiency. What's the difference between the two? If you're aiming for perfectionism, it becomes really suffocating because it stops you from doing stuff and it holds you back. But if you want to be proficient in a skill, then you kind of learn to accept that it's a never-ending journey and there is always something new to learn, but you're always striving to be better because you know there is more to learn and you don't want to settle. This is something that I talk about a lot with some of my author friends I know who have perfectionism issues. And you know we've been called perfectionists because we are always striving to be better and to push ourselves and to do things outside of our comfort zones. And it's like, well, that's not perfectionism, that's striving to improve because we don't want to rest on our laurels, you know? I remember when we first became friends, actually, Ellie, um, you weren't very confident cooking. Yep, I remember. And I remember you put in the group chat once that you weren't a very good cook. And the rest of us were like, what? We have all eaten your food and it's bloody amazing. Well, thank you very much. Still is, I should add. (laughs) You said, well, I'm just following the recipe. And we said, but that doesn't make you a bad cook. Cooking and writing are very similar in that you need to understand the recipes and the techniques before you can experiment. And I think a lot of writers go wrong and they kind of skip this step of really learning the craft and improving and challenging themselves and experimenting. Because this is where you really find your voice and you find who you are and what you want to do. Then once you've got all these techniques and you're aware of them and you played with them, that's when you find what works and that's when you can break the rules much more effectively. Because if you're not aware of what the rules are and why they are a certain way, how can you break them effectively? Absolutely. I, I think as I've gotten more confident in cooking, which like you said, comes from just keep trying, I sort of use my instinct a bit more and change recipes and I mean, aside from the fact that I add mushrooms to everything, I've learned to experiment a bit more and trust the instinct that has built up over so many recipes and so many different dishes, etc. Yeah, and the more you do it, the more confident you get making those substitutes and experimenting a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, precisely. Like, I... It's a very good metaphor, actually, Christina. Thank you. I do like my cooking metaphors. You know that. For me, I used to be very wary of substituting things to make recipes dairy-free. And now I'm like, okay, I'll just use a little bit of this milk and I can use this as a thickening agent. And I'm kind of becoming more confident doing it and adapting recipes. Whereas before, if something had got dairy and I didn't have a substitute, I'd be more inclined to avoid that and then specifically look for a dairy-free or vegan recipe. Which is fine, but um, it's easier when you can just swap out and put whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And experimenting is a part of that because you learn what works in different situations. Mm. 100%. When we're talking about quantity, though, we don't just mean releasing, you know, a 400-page novel of absolute shit. We're not suggesting you release something that's unfinished or full of plot holes and typos, right? Definitely not. The thing is, 
you need to learn your craft first. And as I say, that is not about perfectionism. It is about learning and being aware that you will grow with everything that you publish and everything you finish. You know, you may not publish everything you finish, but the more you do it, the faster you will naturally get. And, you know, you can't grow and release really, really quickly. It doesn't work. You have to do one before you do the other. The thing is like a lot of people, they're like, oh, it was taught writing at school, or maybe they've got a creative writing degree like you and me. And so they think that that means that they can immediately dive in and rapid release. But you need to understand how the knowledge you've already got applies to the real world and the writing career that you want to build as well. So it's not even just about learning the writing craft. It's about understanding marketing and the publishing industry and reader expectations and learning to juggle all of these things before you are confident enough to rapid release. There are some people who release, you know, a book a month and some people who release a book a year. It it depends on that person and their process. Which is good. Everyone's different. That's I mean, we're still saying everyone's different. There's no there's no perfect formula for people releasing books, right? <laughs> but um we're trying to emphasize it doesn't have to be perfect so how can we improve our craft so that we release faster so there are some really key things that writers should not ever start um skip market research is one because you need to know what readers want and i think sometimes it can be a case of oh i need to write this book for me and it's like that's fine but if you are writing a book for you you have to be aware of the trends and the fact that it may not sell as well as you want it to and also you have to utilize beta readers and editors. I really understand, you know, being on a budget and feeling like you can't afford to pay a professional editor. I get that. But it is much better to utilize beta readers and an editor than put out something that is not as good as it could be. Because the more you rush that end product, the more likely it is to not get the reviews that you want or the sales that you want or the income that you want that makes sense when we say releasing quantity then that's what is typically referred to as rapid release what exactly is rapid release so i mentioned it already it's basically where you release books which are usually in the same series in quick succession usually this is once a month sometimes more and more than one a month oh my god yeah. Um, and the theory behind this is that particularly in certain genres like romance or fantasy, readers binge read. And if you make them wait too long in between books, they're inclined to forget about you because they are so busy binge reading. So then A, they're not going to finish your series and B, you're not going to make as much money from that series because people have already forgotten about it because it's two years in between the first and the second book. Yeah, I've definitely seen those before. But once a month sounds like a ton of books what kind of benefits would we get from releasing that rapidly yeah i would preface this with authors who generally release something like one a month tend to do it full time so they do have the time for it and they manage it very very efficiently you know that's how someone like nora roberts has published over 200 i think close to 300 books in her lifetime she writes something like from nine till five every day because she's been doing it since you know, before we were even alive, she has got those systems in place to be able to do it very, very efficiently. 
and I, this is by no means a strategy I would recommend to someone who has not released maybe even more than a series. If you haven't released your first series or even your first few books, you really need to understand the audience expectations and your writing craft and what processes work for you before you rapid release. So in terms of benefits, it does help you build your career. And that's because algorithms will recommend your books to more people because it is seeing you more often. Generally with Amazon, I'm not sure on other retailers, I need to check, but Amazon is less likely to promote your book if it isn't a new release or if it's not been doing that well. There are ways to bring a new life into an old book, but it's a lot harder to do that if you're not still releasing. We'll cover that another day though, because that's a whole different kettle of fish. Rapid releasing keeps you at the forefront of booksellers and readers' minds though. And that's how a lot of writers pay their bills. And it's even how people like content writers pay bills, because we have to write more. You don't pay the bills from writing one blog post, you know? Also, the more you've got out there, whether that is books, blog posts, poems, whatever, the more people who are exposed to your name, which then means the more people who are going to come to you and give you their money. And the average, I think, is it takes eight times for someone to be exposed to a product before they actually dive in and buy it. So, and that's kind of an average for all products and services, but still eight times is a lot, right? So if you're kind of hiding and being your introverted self, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with being an introvert, it does make it a lot harder to build those connections with readers and build that awareness and get them to trust you enough with their money. That's a lot of benefits, to be fair. I can see that that would be a good path to work towards for a writer who wanted to start doing that kind of thing. Clearly, the more books we're going to release, the closer we can get paying our bills, right? Yeah, exactly. But you have to remember your books need to be what readers want for that to work. You know, if your books are shit, people aren't going to come back. They are going to get put off. It is really as simple as that. So, yes, you need a good balance, which is why learning the craft at least a bit is more important for you just dive into getting them out as quickly as possible, right? Yeah. And there is certainly something to be said in terms of deadlines and accountability for motivation, because if you don't have those deadlines and you don't have someone to hold you to account for those deadlines, it's really easy to procrastinate and go, no, this isn't good enough. I won't put it out yet. But also a lot of the time having someone chasing after you in the same way that they do in a day job going, have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? it can really get your ass into gear and encourage you to spend that time that you're endlessly scrolling through Facebook, writing your book or your blog post or your poem or whatever, ready to share it with this person or persons who are saying, I want to read it, I want to read it. Interesting. I feel like I have a uh, a good setup to work towards now, but that brings us on to our next little segment, which is Book of the Week. Yeah, so this week it is my pick, and that is I Would Leave Me If I Could, which is a poetry collection by Halsey. I'm a massive fan of Halsey's music. Anyway, I saw her live before lockdown, and it was incredible. And I've always loved some of her lyrics. Gasoline, one of her songs, is always going to be one of my favorites. But her poetry collection, there's so much heart to it, so much imagery, but also it's a little bit uncomfortable to read in places. It is challenging because she writes about some horrific things that she has experienced, but in such a poetic way. And it's not like an inaccessible poetry collection. It's one that anyone, even someone who's not that into poetry could pick up and enjoy. But if you do dig deeper into it, like I say, the language is used really, really cleverly. And yeah, I can't fangirl over it enough. I would definitely recommend it to anyone, frankly. I like 
Yeah, I'll add it to my um, to be red pile. But I'm afraid, again, that pushes Gone Girl down another step. That's fine. As long as you read Queenie, I'll be happy. Queenie is being read at present. We have a book of the week from one of our lovely little listeners today as well. Evie Rivers, who has recently published her first book, and you can find it on Amazon, I'm sure, recommends The Alchemist by, and bear with me whilst I completely butcher this name, Paolo Coelho. She said it's a book that she really connected with. The book came to me at a perfect time when I was in a really negative space. I would describe the novel as an adult fairy tale. To sum it up, the story taught me, no matter what, just follow your dreams. I learned to turn down the negative noises in my life and the importance of pursuing my own personal calling. Also, we make our own fate. No one decides that for us. It's a book I pick up every now and then to rejuvenate myself and another Plus, it's a quick read. I'm really intrigued. I've not read it, but based on that, I do kind of want to go and find out a little bit more about it. Have you read it? I haven't. Um, but again, I, I've added it to my list and Gone Girl just keeps slipping further and further down. You need to bump it up because you need to analyse it. This is okay, the thing. Okay. You've got to pick stuff that you can analyse and learn from, not just stuff that, but yeah, this is going to be a good read. I think that's the main thing about why we do Book of the Week. And we do it in this way, because if you understand how it's helped other writers, then you can consider whether or not it's going to help you as well. Of course, yes. Right, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care, stay safe, and we will talk to you next time.